Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. And as you're seated, if you'll take out your Bible, the Pew Bible in front of you, open up your Bible app. Today, our passage comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Let us hear now the words of the Lord for us today. An expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? The Pharisee answered, you should love your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to vindicate himself, the Pharisee asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him and took off, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and we saw him. He passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came upon him, and we saw him, he was moved with compassion. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, treating them with oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. The next day he took two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, take care of him, And when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? And the Pharisee said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? So gracious Lord, we gather once again in worship after a busy week, and we come seeking healing for the wounds from the week before and energy for the week ahead. We come to this place, this stronghold to rearm, to recover and to be sent out. So equip us, O Lord, with the power of your spirit, with the emphasis of your words. But as we hear them read and proclaimed, as we sing our praises, as we leave our petitions and give our offerings, O Lord, may we see that what is happening in this place is a transformation a transformation of our very lives so that we would leave here not as mere participants, not as mere actors, not as hearers of your word, but as full followers of you, as doers of your word. Oh Lord, this is our humble prayer. Speak, for your servants are listening. Amen. So I've learned over time that there is an art 
to interviewing people. There is an art to asking the right questions, whether you are writing an article or whether you are giving a performance review or whether you're interviewing someone for employment. It's important to ask the right questions. Now, I learned this over time. Several years ago, almost two decades ago, we were interviewing for an admin position in our, in our church, and I, we asked this question, tell us a little bit about yourselves, and the woman that was interviewing with us rattled on and on and on, going through the list of everything that she liked and everything that that, and she didn't say a whole lot about what she did for work, mind you problematic. But she gets in and says, oh, and for hobbies, you know, every once in a while in our house, my son and I, we like to have naked day. I don't even know what to do with that. But you want to talk about putting in, putting a break on the interview. Everybody in the room quickly looked at me like I knew what was going to give the answer for this. I was like, I don't want to know. Maybe some of the better questions we learned to ask over time were, well, you know, tell us about a time that you found conflict in your place of employment or in your school or in your friend group. Tell us about this conflict. What was the conflict? How did you handle it? What was the result of your handling it? What would you do different if you were faced with that today? Or maybe better yet, we could have asked, tell us about a success in your present area of work or a failure, either one. You could actually, and better if you ask both questions, what's a success and what's a failure? What was it? Why did it happen or why was it successful? How did you feel about it? What did you do to improve it the next time out? See, if you ask the right questions... You learn an awful lot, but you can also learn to grow. And with the growth comes this idea of, with the answer, this idea of a growth that changes your life in a way that you can't go forward differently, but much better. Because when you ask the right questions, you learn all the information you want to know. So in our text today, Jesus is teaching and somebody gets up now, this is a Pharisee, and they say he's an expert of the law. Now, this is not a lawyer like Steve Poe or any of the other lawyers in our church. This is a religious theological giant. The Jewish law is their area of expertise. And so they're going to decide to say they can trap Jesus. It's a game the Pharisees like to play every once in a while. I refer to it sometimes as stump the chump. And, you know, if you want to play stump the chump, that's great with anyone but the Son of God. Because Jesus knows all the answers. So why do you think you're going to trap him? I don't know, but... The Pharisees were slow to learn this game. So his Pharisee stands up and he says, Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit the kingdom of heaven, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, not wanting to get caught up in the game, smarter than they are, answers the question with a question. Well, what does it say in the law, in parentheses, expert? What does it say? And the man comes back and he says, well, you love your God with all your heart and all your might, and you love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, well, then just go and do it. Now, all of a sudden, at that moment, some scholars think the Pharisee realized that Jesus just outflanked him and sort of diminished him. Sort of like you asked the captain obvious question, so go sit down. Instead, the lawyer comes back and he says, well, who is my neighbor? Thinking that we're going to get into a philosophical conversation. And Jesus goes into the parable of the Good Samaritan, as we know it. And he gets to the end of it, and he answers the question with a question. He tells a story, and he says, so, who was the neighbor in the story? 
And the Pharisee says, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Now, I love this passage of Scripture, not because they try to trap Jesus and Jesus outflanks him. I love it because if you are unsure what the entire body of the Bible, if you're unsure about what the Christian faith is about, it gets summed up in this one passage. What does it say to inherit kingdom, the kingdom of heaven? Love your God with all of your heart and all of your might and love your neighbor as yourself. And as simple as that is to maybe even put it on a bumper sticker or an index card to slap on your mirror so that you're looking at it in the morning while you're getting yourself together, still when you get to the end of it, there's a lot more questions. It's not that simple, is it? Love your God with all your heart, all your might. Love your neighbor as yourself. It sounds great on the surface until you figure out this question. How? Maybe you have these questions too along with me. How do I love God with all of my heart? How do I love or how do I even know that I love my neighbor as myself? What does this look like in my life? What does this look like in my daily life? Well, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, he struggled with this as well. He lived in this tension of these questions. How do I live where I love God with all of my heart? How do I live where I love my neighbor as myself? How? And so his real question, the right question maybe the Pharisees should have asked is, how should I live to inherit the kingdom of God? Because that's what John Wesley was wrestling with. How should I live to inherit the kingdom of God and inherit eternal life? Because he wanted to leave no doubt for himself that when he was called home to heaven, that he knew where he was going to go. He wanted to leave no doubt for anyone that observed his life, there would be no doubt that this was a follower of Jesus Christ who had been called home and received his heavenly reward. See, for John Wesley, it wasn't a matter of doing. Because in doing implies like a checklist, like all the things, like if I do this, and I do this, and I do this, and I do this, then I'm good, right? For him, it was a matter of being. It was a matter of really sort of soaking through and saturating his whole life. That it was just who he was. He thought this idea of being, being in a relationship with God, what he called works of piety, being in a God-honoring relationship with the world, what he would call works of mercy. And so when he began to this idea of if we practice these things, works of mercy, works of piety, then we have the answer to the right question, how do I live to gain eternal life? Anybody that's ever examined what makes relationships stand the test of time, they realize that all these relationships have simple characteristics. They all have really the same thing. I always love whenever there's a, an article about some cu a couple that's been married 60, 60 plus years, and someone will interview them and say, well, what was the secret to your happy marriage? What's the secret to a long marriage? And you always love the answers that they come up with, or at least I find them intriguing. It's always things like, we'll never go to bed angry, or everyone needs a hobby. I mean, everyone needs a hobby. Or talk a lot, flexibility, seek out the best in each other. One couple said golf. Another couple said no golf. Not judging, just very interesting. You know, these are things, and so what you really get down to is the answers when you boil them down to the essence of what they're saying. The reality is what made those, re those relationships stand the test of time was an investment of time and energy by both partners. Partners. 
listening to each other, growing in their relationship, growing together, intentionally cultivating the relationship over a matter of years. It wasn't a one and done thing. It wasn't something as simple as, I told you I loved you on the day we got married, so I'll tell you otherwise, and we just kind of go down the road happy, right? No, they showed their love daily. It ebbed and flowed through the years. They cultivated that relationship. So here's the secret, friends. Our relationship with God is no different. That when we spend time cultivating our relationship with God, then we know God's love and we know the depth of it. But we also begin to know how we love God more ourselves. And even we begin to learn what is what I would call God's love language. That which makes God so happy to realize that we love God and the world that much. It's what John Wesley called those works of piety. Things like prayer and scripture and worship. It's how we do this. It's how we cultivate that relationship with God, how we get to know God that much more deeply. When I think about prayer, prayer is that focused conversation, much like you might have with your best friend. You know, you you and your best friend became best friends because you spent time talking to each other, whether it was late at night on the telephone before your parents figured out that you're on the phone or now you're texting or whatever it is that you do. You spent time talking to each other. That's what happens in prayer. We're talking with God and we're listening. We're focusing our conversation. We're sharing our worries and hearing God's response. We're naming our hurts and we receive God's healing presence. We voice our doubts. This is the great thing about a relationship with God. God is so vast and God is bigger than anything that we can imagine that there is nothing I mean, even when we have doubts, God's okay with that because God knows we're trying to work it out for ourselves. So when we voice our doubts, we get God's guidance to the truth and what is right. When we shout our praises for the good thing that God has done in our lives, God echoes them and rejoices and all of heaven sings. It gets magnified in our souls. And when we give thanks, when we give gratitude for all the blessings that God has given to us, Somewhere in that conversation, in that prayer, we realize that God is smiling. That's what happens in prayer, but that, doesn't, that just doesn't happen like once in a while. That happens every time we pray. And so for us to build that relationship, it's about the frequency that we pray. I mean, I could go to meddling here and ask everyone to raise their hands, but the question really is this, is how often do we pray? I mean, do you pray at least once a day, every day? Do we at least give thanks for the food that we're about to receive? Do we pray at each meal? Do we spend more time in prayer? Do we dedicate and focus time on that conversation? See, the secret is this, is that the more that we pray, the better our conversation gets, the better that we begin to realize what God hear, how God hears us and how we hear God. It begins to be easier the more that we do it. And what we find is that there's a joy in being in conversation with God, much like there's a joy for you to be in conversation with your best friend. But it's not just prayer. It's also Scripture. See, Scripture is the story of God's love for all of humanity dating back to time. It's timeless 
and relevant to our days. A lot of people say, oh gosh, the Bible was written so long ago, it couldn't possibly apply today. We have Twitter and everything else, but the reality is it does. See, the Bible is a story of God's people. It's a story and it's the actions of faithful people who've been asking the same kinds of questions that you and I ask every day. Questions such as, how am I to be faithful in the world around me, in the calamities that are around me? The ancient world was as messed up sometimes as our world is, and yet faithful people ask those questions. And their stories can be guidance for us. Guidance for how we face the adversity around us. Guidance for how to live within the, question, within the kingdom and how we can live as kingdom people even here in the 21st century. So much like prayer, the question I have for us is how often do we take the book? How often do we read it? How often do we ask ourselves as we read those passages, what is God saying to me? How might this passage be applicable to my life? And much like prayer, the more that we spend time in the Word, the more that we read it, the more that we focus on what it says for our lives, the closer we're drawn into the sacred story and it becomes our own and the more direction that we can see in between the lines. And so as we're armed with prayers, we're armed in Scripture, we gather here in the house of the Lord, this place that's a stronghold, a citadel, if you will, a life-saving station. We've used all these metaphors to describe the church. But so when we come together in corporate worship in a community, we shout our praises, yes, but we also realize that God is equipping us to go out for service, to go out in ministry to the world. We have this opportunity to come together and to deepen our faith, but also to build relationships with each other. Everybody, if you look to the left of you or the right of you, this is someone that's just like you, wanting to find healing, wanting to find energy, wanting to find direction. And when we come together, it's now it's somebody that we can converse with because we have a shared story, right? We were all in worship today. We're all learning about how to ask the right question and what it means. But not only do we come together in community with each other to lean on, but we also have the worship service itself. Everything that happens in it, the liturgy, the hymns, the scripture, the spoken word, the offering, it's all an opportunity for us to realize how God is speaking to us. How often do we go through the creed that we pray, that we say at the beginning, that that we believe, and we just rattle right through it because it's right on the page and we got to get to the next thing in the worship service, and we don't really ponder the words. How often do you take the bulletin home and look in the back to see opportunities for the week ahead, but even look back at the worship service to say and to see what it is that we said in worship? To ponder what the prayer of thanksgiving really means for our lives for the blessings that God has given to us. See, the more time we spend in worship, the more time that we spend together in worship, we see glimpses of God acting right in our midst. We get an idea of what the kingdom of heaven can look like when we come together and we praise God and we offer ourselves as a holy and living sacrifice. Whereas that hope is here for us in this place. Hope is here for the world in this place. So we want to know the answer to that question, 
how should I live to gain eternal life? Part of that comes in these works of piety where we're drawn into a closer relationship with God. We begin to understand what it means to love God with our whole heart, all our might, all our soul. Because we gain assurance in that relationship of how much God loves each and every one of us. But just as we begin to understand our relationship with God, we ask ourselves, how do I live so that I can gain eternal life? We recognize that it's not just love of God, that we've also got to love our neighbor because that's what Jesus says right here in this passage. He asked at the end of the parable, he said, so he says to the Pharisee, so which person was the neighbor to the man who had been beaten? And notice that the Pharisee doesn't identify them by race or class or creed, but he says, the one who showed mercy. My friends, that's the definition of loving our neighbors as ourselves, is the one who showed mercy. Yes, it's the golden rule, do unto others, but it's even a deeper level because it's showing the mercy that we have been shown, showing that mercy to the world. It's at a much, much deeper level. So for John Wesley, this idea of these works of mercy, they were critical to our discipleship because it's about us living out our faith. It's about us reflecting to the world the mercy that we have received. It's about us repeating the actions of Christ to a world that needs so desperately to be reminded that it is loved. So these works of mercy, they're rooted in John Wesley's three simple rules for the church. Remember what they were? They were to do no harm, to do good, and attend to the ordinances of God. Well, the ordinances of God, peace, that's about the works of piety, the prayer, the scripture, the worship, holy communion. But this idea of works of mercy, to do no harm. I mean, sometimes if that's where we just start, if we would just do no harm today, tomorrow, and in all the days to come, we make the world a better place by simply just doing that. But if we take it a step further, we do good. But also works of mercy include things like feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting the sick and the imprisoned. It's about changing the relationship that we have with our financial resources, about earning all that we can, saving all that we can, giving all that we can. Because what John Wesley was really getting to is he's picking up that Pauline line of thought, this idea that faith without works, those living examples of our faith, those living examples, those practices of our discipleship, faith without works is dead. It's nothing. It's meaningless. It's what we read in James. Be not hearers of the word, but what? Doers of the word. See, that's what John Wesley was challenging us to do. It's not good enough to say, I follow Jesus and I follow it only in these works of piety. I've got to show the world what that means. I've got to live the word. So when we live our faith doing good and doing no harm, when we're generous with our resources, when we help those in dire straits, then the world sees a living sermon in our lives and through our lives. And we share the love of God with the world around us because we're showing mercy to the world. And it's when we practice these things, when we practice them ourselves, not only are we showing the world that, but then we at a deeper level begin to understand what it means to truly love our neighbor as ourself because we're in relationship with them. 
We're not seeking pity on them, but we're building them up. We're walking alongside them. We're in a relationship together to change the world. So think about the question that lawyer asked. He asked, what must I do? And again, he was thinking a checklist, one or two or three, maybe even 10 things that he could check off and say, I do all those things, so I must be good, right? But the better question, the right question you should have asked is, how should I live? How should I live to inherit the kingdom of heaven, to gain eternal life? The answer still was going to be the same. Love God with all your heart and all your might and love your neighbors yourself. But if we did that, if we truly loved God, if we lived that way, if we asked the follow-up questions, well, how do I live loving God? How do I live loving my neighbor? Jesus probably would have answered it with this simple response. Follow me. And friends, when we begin to follow follow in the footsteps, follow the example, follow the risen Christ, then our lives are irrevocably changed. We can't go back to who we were. We're different people. We're the people God wants us to be. So thinking about that this week and thinking about who we are called to be and how we're called to be different. So I want to challenge us to do something. I want to challenge us to do just that, to follow Christ, to live more fully into this example, to live more fully in loving God with our whole heart, to live more fully into loving our neighbor as ourselves, to practice these works of piety, these works of mercy. So I want to challenge you for the next seven weeks, and you can write these down, but I'll also tell you that they're going to show up in an email that comes out Tuesday morning. But I want to challenge you to do this. Every day for the next seven weeks, also entitled from today until the end of September, I'll just tell you, give you a boundary. This is an experiment to see if it changes your life. I want you to pray on a daily basis. Each day I want you to pray the Lord's Prayer. Now don't rattle it off in machine gun fashion because you know all the words. I want you to pray and I want you to ponder the words. Every section of it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray that prayer and ponder those words and what it might mean for your life. And in addition to praying that prayer every day, I want you to, at the very least, pray at one meal. I want you to give thanks for the food in front of you, but for all the blessings that you have been given. The blessing, the meal... It's really us saying, thank you, Lord, for what you have given to us in this meal, in this day. But while you're praying every day, I also want you to read scripture. I want you to start with the Gospel of Luke, and you're going to read a chapter a day all the way through Luke and then into Acts. Now, really, that's a two-volume series, if you want to be honest. It's written by the same author, Luke. He also wrote Acts. And what it is, it's the story of Jesus and the story of the early church. It's the anchor for who we are, my friends. Read a chapter a day. I want you to notice what happens in that chapter. I want you to ponder what that means for you. Ponder how it could be applicable to your life today or what you're dealing with in the macro sense. I want you to do that every day. Each week I want you to gather for worship. I want you to gather with us, preferably in this place, preferably together because corporate worship is so important to who we are. But I recognize that some of you travel, some of you who have fallen in love with Centenary don't even live in this state. And that's okay. Join us right here on live stream. 
But each week, make a commitment to be in worship. Take the bulletin home with you. Make note of what's happening in the back, but make note of the liturgy that we use on that Sunday, of what's happening. Look at the words intently. You can write in all the margins because it's yours to take home. But in addition to that, I want us to think about how we go from loving and building our relationship with God to building our relationship with the world around us, these works of mercy. So I want us to do good every day. And we'll, we'll reboot something I shared with you all, I don't know, let's say four years ago, maybe. The five pennies. Remember this? This idea that you should do five kind things for others in the course of a day. Put five pennies in your left pocket or your right pocket. I don't care which one. But take five pennies, and each time you do something good, move it from one pocket to the next. If you don't wear clothes that have pockets, that's okay. You'll figure out what to do. But do five kind things for someone else each day. Do good. Now, if you're like me, sometimes, you know, I'm not in the morning, not so much, but in the afternoon, sometimes in the afternoon, I need a break beverage. Sometimes in the morning, some of you like to go to Camino or Starbucks or something like that. I like to walk down to one of the convenience stores down the street here, and I like to get a caffeinated beverage. Diet Dr. Pepper is really the rule of thumb right now. But anyway, neither here nor there. But what I would encourage you to do is this. Forego your break beverage. I know that I'm meddling. Let's own this. Don't buy that cup of coffee at Camino. Don't walk down to the bodega and buy yourself a soda. Instead, take the money you would spend on that and bank it for the day. And at the end of the week, take those funds and go use them to change the world for someone else. If you're not sure where to donate that to make a difference in the world around you, this, this generosity, go to the school in your neighborhood or go to the school where the kids in your neighborhood go. And I can guarantee you, you walk in there that there is a student in that school that needs some support, whether it's school supplies or lunch money or something. And just give that to the person at the desk and say, Use this money to help one of the students in your school in need. That's all you got to say. Don't give them any more data. You don't have to give them any more stuff. Just leave it on the counter to that person. The school will figure out what to do with it. You will help someone in need. Do that on a daily basis. Give up that break beverage each day and take the money you would have spent on that and do something good with it, something generous. And finally, what I want you to do is one of the things in Works of Mercy is visiting the sick, the imprisoned, that sort of thing, is I want you to take go back to what we talked about a couple of weeks ago in our sermon about make sure your friends are okay. Think about those people that are struggling in the world around you, and on a weekly basis, reach out to them. Check in on them. Make sure they are okay. Friends, I believe if we do these things, these works of mercy, these works of piety, if we do these six things I'm talking about doing over the course of seven weeks, it will change the pattern of our lives. It will change the pattern and the habits that we have. It will change who we are, make us grow deeper in our faith with God, our relationship with God, our relationship with each other. I believe they are the answer to the question, how should I live to gain eternal life? How should I live to have a deeper relationship with God? And in doing so, we receive the assurance of the Master. In the name of the Father, 
and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings. Blessings.